coming up on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. Oh, cool. I would love a Tall Mike Wine Podcast coaster. <laughs> oh, it's already pre-stained. I basically was a very strong, very proactive woman. And because oh, of that, I was villainous. villainized. There was a guy on the Australian season who fell face first into the fire. And he burned his hands and part of his face. Made for great television. <laughs> I had squirrels that lived in my roof when I first moved into the barn, and they peed on me one night. Oh, they literally peed on my head. If that's not love, I don't know what it is. And now, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The cell phones have been silenced. The wine is poured. I am imagining you're going to join us, but don't if you're driving. Just use your imagination. And just like that, the podcast begins. Hello. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. I'm Mike Stone. After a brief break from being here in the Vintner's Room, I'm back at Nicholson Ranch Winery in Sonoma. For the podcast heard in 12 countries on four continents and 33 of our United States. Thank you for finding us. Tell your friends. Tell them all. Then make more friends and tell them too and so on, and so forth. On to what's happening here at the winery, the annual nesting of the swallows. Talk about a flurry of activity. You think you work hard? These tiny birds have just hit town, and they build a mud nest in a day, and they're ready to start having babies. That's pretty impressive. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. She, according to her Twitter bio, is... I'm quoting here, the original villainess of reality TV, actress, host, chef, jewelry artist, podcaster, wine lover. Those last two things are why she's here. But we're going to talk about the other things, too. That's a lot of things. Let's figure out what it all means. Welcome to the podcast, Jerry Manthe. Hello. Welcome. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself in, into today. You didn't know I would. You would show up, and I would have notes on a on a, on a printed out page with your name at the top, spelled no, correctly. I'm very impressed. You spelled my name correctly, and you got all of my adjectives right. I try to. I try to. Let's break it all down. Um, I met you. I want to say three years ago. Driving. Yeah, you were driving for Platypus. Yeah, doing wine tours. Yeah, Platypus Tours is a Napa-based wine tour company that does uh, the bus tours to wineries all over Napa and Sonoma. They come to Nicholson Ranch on a very regular basis. You're not still driving for them, though. I am not, no. I am actually private chefing right now. So there's the chef part. Yes. Are you cooking for families? Yes. I was hired by a family that was once located in Calistoga, but after the fires had to relocate to San Francisco to their house down there. The, so, the fires last year? Yes. The last fire. What year are we in? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I remember we had a year once. It lasted about five years. Yeah. They called it 2020. <laughs> yeah, it was the October 2020 fire. The glass fire. Yeah, the one that was they really that horrible. One. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been driving to San Francisco. Oh. And cooking down there. How many days a week do you do that for them? I was doing it for five, and then my client actually passed away. Oh. But I'm still cooking for his family. So Hopefully not from something you... N- never oh, mind. my goodness gracious, no. <laughs> See, we joke around on the podcast. We joke around on the podcast. 
No, it was never my cooking. All right. Good, <laughs> Good Lord. Now let's do reality TV. <laughs> Jerry was on Survivor. Now, before you roll your eyes and say, that's still on TV? And I think it is, right? It's totally still on. But this is back when network TV was still a thing people watched, right? And, yeah. and a show, a popular show, could really shade the landscape of the country. A lot of people don't realize this. You know, now you have so many shows, so many options. Many of them aren't even on regular TV. You know, they're cable channels, and now there are streaming channels. But back, was it 20 years ago? 2001? Yeah, 2001. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. If you were on a hit show on network TV, a lot of people watched it. <laughs> And Survivor created this thing, and I, I never watched it once because I I'm not, haven't been a TV person since the 90s. But there was a time when I know restaurant traffic dipped every Wednesday night. I witnessed this myself, and someone said to me, oh, everyone's home watching Survivor. <laughs> and I'd heard of it, but I'd never watched. And when this concept was explained to me, I was just like, oh, how sad. <laughs> It was a TV phenomenon at the time. I was on season two the first time I played. So season one was in 2000? Yes. Okay. It's always struck me as appealing to our lesser nature as a species. Sort of the way they get all these people together and film them and film them and film them and cut it all together to turn it into a story. (laughs) He's a good guy. She's a bad girl. It's called reality TV, but it's fake. It's real. It's just the edited version of the reality. Okay. So you were on the show in 2001. Yes. Explain villainous. <laughs> so set me up from the beginning. Okay. Well, I mean, I basically was a very strong, very proactive woman. And because oh, of that, I was villainized. Yes. As opposed <laughs> to the men who, by the way, were total wusses who were made into heroes. It was not fair. On any level, and if you go back and watch that season two, everyone that watched it during the pandemic, because there's been a whole new rash of this younger generation that wasn't even around during season two, right. they've gone back now and rewatched it. Uh-huh. And they're just like, I don't get it. Why was Jerry so bad? She didn't even do anything. <laughs> that shows you that as a society, <laughs> things have changed, maybe for the better. Uh, because a strong woman back then, it was very easy to vilify. It's still now, that way. It's, well, it is. It is. It is, yeah. and it isn't. I it, wish we were far more advanced than we were twenty no. years ago. We're not. We're not where we should be. Let's no. just put it that way. Totally but not. I did play two other times, and then the last time I played, I feel like I redeemed my character, and people were now rooting for me. And mm. I was on the villains' team, but I was actually turned into a hero. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, she's shape shifting now. <laughs> well, so, any good villain does. That's right. He? That's right. If you saw the Terminator movie. <laughs> so let's talk about the season two Survivor 2001. This was in the Australian Outback. I actually auditioned or sent in a tape for season one, and they did not pick me. At the very end of that, people caught on to it. And I knew a lot of people in the casting department and they reached out to me for season two. They were like, Jerry, you're perfect for this show, but your tape that you sent us sucked so bad. (laughs) We're going to give you one week to send us a tape that we can bring to the producers. So I taught myself how to edit video VHS at the time and also do voiceover stuff. I put together this really great video. Like it was amazing. And I, I mean, I pretty much knew that I was going to get on that season. Okay. So you got on. 
They fly you to Australia. You go to the Outback, which is, I guess, somewhere in Australia. (laughs) And then how real is it as far as being Survivor? Oh, it's very real. Yeah. Like back then, especially, there was less medical care. And the challenges were much harder because they were really trying to push the envelope of our safety. Now they will not do the same challenges that we did in Australia, like jumping off a 70 foot cliff into water that's filled with boulders. They did that? Yeah. Yeah. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. And I will never do that again unless my life depends on it. But no. I mean, they really pushed the envelope in that season and even the season three in Africa, which I thought was like the worst thing ever. Uh Now they're very cautious of people getting hurt. So there's a medical team always on standby if someone hurts themselves. Well, the thing is, if you think about appealing to our, you know, sense of wanting to see sensationalistic things, don't you think they sort of wanted people to get hurt? Or no. what if somebody died? Well, I mean, in It'd Australia... It would be a huge story. It would be a huge story. And I kept saying it's going to happen eventually. But there was a guy on the Australian season who fell face first into the fire. And he burned his hands and part of his face. And he had to get medevaced out. Made for great television. <laughs> it, it did. And actually, I think I would have been voted off that episode had he not fell into the fire. Oh, he took one for you. He took one for the team. He did take one for the team. Over the course of the season, which lasts how many episodes? It's like 14 episodes, I think. Something like okay. that. 14. And events, at some point, it's established that some people are good people and some people are villains. I don't, again, I'm totally flying blind here. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to get to like, how did you get to be the villain? Or was it predetermined? No, no. Mark Burnett actually said to me later on, he was like, you know, Jerry, I had no idea you were going to be so tough. He thought I was like some hippy dippy chick who goes to Burning Man. That's what he thought. And when I got out there, like, you know, you're in full blown competition mode. I turn it on. Like I played sports my whole life. So if I'm in a competitive situation, I'm very proactive and aggressive. And I think that definitely came across kind of rough. Not to mention, I was very outspoken about things like there was a guy I caught eating beef jerky. There was a rice or a chef on my team who couldn't make rice. And we were starving and no one wanted to eat it. So I was like, what is going on? Like, I was always the one standing up going, this is not okay. <laughs> so you're questioning things. So obviously, yes. you're a villain. So I was a horrible person. You're a bad I was horrible. Person. Wow. <laughs> and then I guess you got voted off the island at some point. Eventually. Well, it yeah. wasn't really, well, it is an island. It's Australia. Yeah, very large island, but yes. <laughs> so you've been on two other times? Yes. They had like reunion shows or what happened? The second time was the All Stars. And that one was in Panama. And that was like the worst experience of my whole life. I literally thought we were going to die one night. It was awful. And then the last time I played was I in I think she's going to die. Make sure the camera's rolling. <laughs> That's what I really hate about it. I almost quit. And I'm not a quitter. Like it, I was pushed to my very limits. And then the last time I played was in Samoa. Okay. Well, you've got to do some nice traveling. Yeah. And almost die. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't really get to enjoy anything. I was, I was starving the whole yeah. time. <laughs> Should we have a few sips of wine? Yes, please. I thought you'd never ask. I poured some wine. We do that on this show. We sip wine. We talk about it. We talk about other things. What is this that we're drinking? Uh, in the glass right now is a Chardonnay from Nicholson Ranch. 
This is special on a few fronts. One, it's a Chardonnay that's fermented in stainless steel. 100% stainless steel? It's fermented in stainless steel, but then it is aged briefly in neutral French oak. Ooh. 10 months. Ooh, to soften okay. it up just a little bit. Sometimes those Chardonnays that are all steel and go right into the bottle, they're a little bit like... Zzz, yeah, they make me feel like I'm biting into a piece of tinfoil. There you go. See yeah. that, that sensation. So this softens yeah. it up a little bit. So this is nice and soft. It's got just a little bit more richness than you would expect in a stainless steel fermented wine. But I it's love got neutral oak. Nice fruit, lemony, pineapple-y. That is so nice on the nose. I almost don't want to drink it. Please drink it. <laughs> This is special for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's it's been aging oh. a while. This is from the 2014 oh. vintage. Oh, goodness gracious. Here's, oh, hold on, I'm having a moment over here. Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> this is amazing. So here's the better thing about this. Uh, this has been a thing that's been going on since the mm. beginning of the pandemic. We started pouring this wine in the tasting room. 2014 was one of the biggest harvests ever here at Nicholson Ranch. So we made a lot of this wine. And it was about time to start selling it in the tasting room, and we shut down. So Deepak, the big boss, who's been on the show three times now. Aw, I love Deepak. He said, well, there's nobody coming to see us. we got to sell this wine. Let's put it on sale by the case What for half price. What? So this wine is on sale by the case for <gasps> half price. What does it go for? Uh, well, it's usually $36 a bottle, so that would be $18 a bottle times 12. What? $18 a bottle? Yeah. You have to buy a case though. But then you can put it in your fridge and you can just drink it every night. This is amazing. It can be your summer wine. It could um, be. You can also buy it on the website, nicholsonranch.com. Click on case sale. The finish on this is lingering forever. The neutral gives it that it. finish. Gives that extra little bit of texture. Makes the finish go on and on and on. Oh, my goodness. But, this you know, like, it's an 80-something degree day outside right now. This would be nice, right? Yeah. You're outside and you were at the beach or you were at the pool or <laughs> anywhere warm in <laughs> your backyard I, doing a little bit of gardening. If I had a case, I could do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you just never stop. In fact, I might actually have to get a case on the way out. Perfect. <laughs> <Cha -ching>. <laughs> NicholsonRanch.com. Click on case sale. Oh, nice. All right. Oh, and, and uh, I, I just gave you your official coasters. Thank you. I'm very excited to have my very own Tall Mike Wine podcast coasters. It's so cool to have these coasters. Who did the, the artwork on that? So the artwork is done uh, by a guy that I never met, by a guy that I contacted via the website Fiverr. I went on there and searched for podcast art. I sent this person a picture of me that looks a lot like that. That cost me $15. For how many? No, $15 just for the, for the design. Just for the artwork. That's amazing. And it was ready to just upload onto the apps. So it's on the apps. It's my artwork on my podcast. I love it. If you'd like a few coasters, just send me an email. Tallmikewine at gmail.com. I'll, I'll send you a few. Now They're really cool. Thank Seriously, you. Mike. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> this offer is limited. You look like you're... The picture, like you're in this state of sensual, seductive smelling. That's my na that's my natural state. <laughs> you have to you have to like snap your fingers to get me out of this. Yeah, you are in it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on my podcast. Yeah, well, you'll have to come on mine. Exactly. I reached out to you because I saw you'd started your own podcast. Now, 
Tell me why you started your own podcast. I think it really just became a need to have a place to talk about stuff and to encourage people to do what I was doing, which is if you have an idea for something, just do it. I knew nothing about podcasting. I just had been listening to quite a few of them. I I became addicted to podcasts. There's so many great, great podcasts out there. It's amazing how many there are. I know. It's overwhelming. And what are some of your favorites? Let's see. One of them is called Snap Judgment. Okay. It's so well produced. There's music in the background, which I've noticed on yours. You are doing an excellent job with the music in the background. I'm Thank you. envious. I'm totally picking your brain when we're finished. So your podcast is called Hit the Ground Running with Jerry Manthe. Yes. I saw that it was called Hit the Ground Running and I searched for it and there's a couple other Hit the Ground Runnings. Not with Jerry Manthe. Not with Jerry Manthe. So and make you know sure what? if you're searching for it, Hit the Ground Running, <laughs> Jerry with an I, Manthe. Yeah, and when I put that name on there, there was no other one that I could find. It's a metaphor for my life, really. My whole life, I've done nothing but hit the ground running no matter what I do. Okay. I decide I'm going to do something and I just go for it. With podcasting, after the pandemic, I felt like I needed to feel connected to people again. So it kind of became a way of sharing my journey and then also pulling people into that. Mm -hmm. And I encouraged people to upload audio files of stories to share about different topics. And then I play those on the podcast as well and discuss them. Dating has come up so many times with dating apps specifically. Like that seems to be a topic that I just cannot. I listen to you ranting about it. I just can't. I think it was episode two. Yeah. It's amazing how, why they don't work. They're not designed to work. They're designed to get you hooked. Just like Survivor. (laughs) Well, they're not promising you're going to meet the love of your life on Survivor. <laughs> True. They're but, promising that somebody's going to get hurt. We just can't tell you that. <laughs> someone's going to starve. Someone's <laughs> going to get stabbed in the back. It's yeah. going to be great television. Yeah, but it's been a fun journey just to like learn how to do all the technical stuff first, right. which you know is... Yes. It's, there's a learning curve there, but the only way to do it is to do it. Hit the Ground Running is basically your story intermixed with other people's stories. Yeah, I just had my first guest on uh, this past week. She's okay. also a podcaster. Her name is Jess Rothschild. She's one of my favorite people. She literally taught me how to set up a podcast, upload everything, how the whole system worked. Her podcast is called Hot Takes and Deep Dives. Mm-hmm. She's been, she had Rosie O'Donnell recently, Isaac Mizrahi, and me. <laughs> So I feel like I'm in really good company with her, actually. I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook that I follow. And it's just every day you get the questions. And it's it's a little bit repetitive because people that are new or at various stages of being new to podcasting have questions that you have when you're new. So these questions keep popping up and you Which just Which ones comment. do you get? People want to know about audio editing. My favorite is when people jump right in. I'm uploading my first episode tomorrow. Now, how do I monetize? Oh, my God. (laughs) And they get soundly shouted down in the comments. Build some audience. Build some content. Make sure you have a good show. And then about two years later, maybe start thinking about monetizing. Yeah. That's one reason you haven't heard any commercials on this show. I'm not doing any of those. You know, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a commercial now. Oh, yeah. Because I just I'm not doing this to make money. To make money. I have a job. Yeah. Nicholson Ranch. And I do this for fun. If, If it turns out someday that 
you know, I have such a huge audience that someone is clamoring to sponsor my show and write me a big fat check, then of course, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But that's not why I'm here. Right. All right. Back to your bio. <laughs> Actress. So I'm guessing you were in L.A. trying to make a go of it when the whole Survivor thing happened. Yes, I've been an actor since I was nine years old. I've been involved in theater long before I ever moved to L.A. Where did that happen? Well, I was an army brat, so mm. I moved around all over the world. Um, I lived mostly in Germany, and the way I worked the system basically was if I moved to a place that didn't have a theater program, I would start one. I was in love with the theater, and I still am. I miss it terribly. But at some point I knew that I wanted to do television and film and I was in Florida at the time. As soon as I decided I wanted to try to make a go of it, I met a manager in Florida from L.A. I auditioned for him and he said, when do you want to move? And I said, right now. Okay. How old were you? 25. And he said, when do you going to want to go? I said, right now. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm so am I. <laughs> You don't understand. I'm Jerry Manthe, and I'm going to hit the ground running. Hell yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I literally sold everything I owned. I packed up my car. At 25 in Florida. Yeah. And you were out to LA. And I drove to LA. And how long before you were auditioning for the first Survivor season? That was in 95. The first Survivor didn't happen until, it was like 99, 2000. Okay. So five years later. Yeah. But I was, I almost got on 90210 at one point. <laughs> I had like four callbacks and I'm like, oh my God, my life would have been so different. Wow. And even before I moved to LA, I almost got into a Martin's, I think it was Martin Scorsese. They were going to do a movie about Noriega and I auditioned for the part of his girlfriend and I, I was so, it was going to happen. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And then they nixed the film. Oh. So I've had a lot of near misses, which is really frustrating. So Survivor came along and that kind of vaulted you into this world where people knew who you were. How did you end up here? Jerry lives in the Napa Valley. She lives in a barn. <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> From social media posting. <laughs> I do live in like, a barn. Oh, it's so cold. Oh, the roof leaks. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you move into a house? <laughs> no, I had, I had squirrels that lived in my roof when I first moved into the barn. Uh, and they peed on me one night. Oh, man. They literally peed on my head. If that's not love, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's not love. It was wild game in my ceiling. Um, yeah, I, I moved here five years and a couple of months ago. So after Survivor, were there acting things? I, I monetized the situation. I, might I turned my 15 minutes of fame into about five hours. Okay, that's um, good. That's yeah, good conversion. I did, I did a lot of, lot of TV, more reality TV shows, um, some sci-fi movies. I was walking red carpets, hanging out with real celebrities. Like my life was, I was living the dream. I accomplished what I moved to LA to do, although... Not in the way I originally planned, which was as an actress. Mm -hmm. A reality TV star in L.A. does not get the same respect. No. You're sort of like B-list. Yeah. Or C-list. Or D. Depends or D. on who you ask. I didn't want to go there. Yeah. No, it was not what I wanted for myself. You're not considered to be the artiste that an actor is. Yes. Or a director. You're just sort of somebody who got lucky and is, well, it's just sort of a freak show. Kind of thing, right? <laughs> 
Because reality TV is like a freak show. It is. I mean, it is definitely now more than ever. Yeah. At least Survivor did have some prestige at the time. Oh, it was huge. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was very hard to get out from under the reality TV rock. And I just made the best of it. And I kept reminding people, like, I'm an actual actress. I have been doing this since I was a kid. And I still feel like there's something there that I need to explore again at some point in my life, probably sooner than later because I'm getting older now. But one of my dream roles is Blanche in A Streetcar Named Desire. Okay. And I want to do that play so bad. I can totally see that. Yeah, right? (laughs) So at any time, you could just be be pulling up... You could just be pulling up chocks here and back to Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't ever want to live in L.A. again. No. No. You don't have to. I mean, I there's don't. lots of very successful actors that don't live in Los Angeles. They just yeah. go there for work. Right. I would be more than willing to do that. Stay in my barn here in Napa Valley and drive to L.A. or fly there whenever I need to. That right. would I'd be perfectly happy with. Well, and you can send people all the videos of yourself that you want. Casting via video right. is uh, the whole new thing. Can so. I pour you some red wine <gasps> Please now? do. It's beautiful. Right. What a beautiful sound. I'm uh, pouring for you a wine that comes from one of my favorite wine regions of the world, this is an Australian wine from the Barossa Valley. How appropriate, Australia. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I wish that I would have thought of that, but I didn't. I just pulled it out of the wine rack this morning and thought, oh, yes, I've been waiting to open this one for a while. Well, it is episode 11, and you know 11 is transformative. Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is from 2015. It's a Shiraz from Whoa. the Barossa Valley. And they claim that the vines from the uh, the grapes that the vines grew on, or some of them are over 100 years old, old, old vine fruit, not much new oak, it spends 18 months in barrel. It's very old world smelling to me. Very. But it's very dense smelling. It's very astringent as well. right off the bat. You get a lot of acid there? Yes. So this is called Dandelion Vineyards, and they work with a bunch of young winemakers. So there's no specific winemaker. But this one is called Lionheart of the Barossa Shiraz 2015. And, and look at all those awards it won. Oh, look at all the little stickers. There's all so the gold many gold stickers, stickers on, the on there. All the stickers, man. They won stickers. You pulled out the good Amazing. stuff. Amazing. <laughs> Color, very dark, as is typical of the Barossa Valley. They have wines there that are typically very extracted. You get a lot of extraction from the skin of the grape, which means you get these really dark wines that after you take a few sips, your teeth are already turning blue, which I love. Are my teeth going to be blue when I leave here? They might be. Your tongue might be black. (laughs) I can't help you with that. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) It's all right. You can go brush your teeth. And I then, know, and uh, I wore white pants. That's like the cardinal sin when no, you go to a winery. Fine. Don't ever wear white pants. You're fine. <laughs> it's really dense. It's got nice, like, red and almost purple fruit. Lots of berries, like, almost like a... Plums. Yeah, this is definitely jammy. I was not expecting a wine that would be just that easy to drink. It, I was expecting something that was a little more tannic and a little bit more, like, I'd have to chew it. Might have been a little more like that a couple of years ago. These wines, you know, they put a screw cap on them. In Australia, they're really big fans of the screw cap, even for the fancier wines. You know, I find that the ones in the screw cap bottles 
that you typically would age five to 10 years, like you open them after 10 years and it's like, this thing hasn't aged a day. That screw cap has given it like eternal life. Because <laughs> no air gets in, not even a tiny little bit. Like with a cork, eensy, 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 weensy bits of oxygen get in and that what, that's what helps the wine to age and yeah. mellow out. The screw cap, it's like, uh-uh, no not air's getting in here. It. No air's getting in here. This is sealed and will be just as fresh when you open it 10 years from now. But it's so easy to drink. Like it, yeah. if it hasn't aged in the bottle well, at it's all. Well, how- it spent 18 months in barrel. Okay. So that smoothed it out quite a bit. Yeah. But it's delicious, isn't it? I am actually pleasantly surprised. I was a little bit concerned on the nose that I wouldn't like it. And mm. I am in love. This is a very soft wine with a very astringent nose off the top. Like I, I was not expecting this. This is delicious. Thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. This is what the show is all about. It's a wine podcast. We drink wine. Mm. We talk about other stuff, but we drink wine. Well, you know, drinking wine is one of my favorite things. So we didn't actually get to the whole, why did you move to the Napa Valley? Well, I, as a chef, I used to run a kitchen at Burning Man. Okay. I worked for the founders. So you are the hippie that goes to Burning Man. (laughs) I did go to Burning Man. I would not call myself a hippie. I absolutely detest and want to throw up in my mouth when I smell patchouli. So to me, that's that's like the epitome of a hippie. I basically at Burning Man have been running a kitchen. I ran a kitchen there for like eight years. Okay, so you're feeding people. Yeah. And it started with nothing. I worked from the ground up. The very little budget. And what I did was I would recruit chefs from around the world year round to come cook in the kitchen because it started to grow to such a big thing. I couldn't cook it all myself. Like I was doing everything by myself for a while. And what I came to find out was at some point, all my chefs that were my favorites were all from Napa Valley. So I went through a horrible divorce and I was just like done with LA. And my first thought was where am I going to move next? And all of my good friends are up here already. So I packed up everything and I hit the ground running and I moved to Napa Valley. Jerry (laughs) Manthe hit the ground running again. (laughs) That's what I do, Mike. I'm telling you, it's what I do the best. So it was culinarily driven, your move to Napa. Yes. All my favorite chefs were up here who are also my best friends. I was just at a point in my life in, in L.A. I'd been there for 21 years and I was looking around going, I don't really have any super close friends here. Mm-hmm. And I was at the point in my life where I wanted to be close to people I loved and trusted. That, that sounds very L.A. <laughs> I know. And now, Sadly. I lived here forever and I have one friend. Sadly, maybe. that is very true. That's why I was just like done with it. It's a very me focused sort of environment. It's a selfish city. Everybody's yeah. there chasing a dream. Right. And looking around the room when you go to a party to see who's walking in the door and who's looking at them. And it's just very shallow. I I lived in L.A. for a year. One year. I I managed a restaurant. I I didn't move down there to like move and to go into anything. You know, I didn't move down there for movies or anything. I just moved down there because it was a change of scenery. I remember I had an interview with a restaurant for a job and the restaurant was in Beverly Hills. Ooh, which one? Uh, it's not there anymore. Oh. <laughs> nature, nature of the restaurant business. Yeah. I, I, you know, I put my, my interview suit on and, uh, you know, got all shaved and cleaned up and drove into Beverly Hills and I, I had some time to kill. So I went into the Starbucks, you know, I'm all cleaned up and I'm wearing a suit and I walk in and the woman behind the counter, I could just see her doing like math in her head. Like, <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> 
am I supposed to know who he is? Who oh. is this guy? Right? Yeah. I'm wearing a suit. You know, it's the middle of the day yeah. and I'm wearing a suit. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? He must which, be a celebrity. He's which, wearing a suit. Which producer is this? <laughs> you know, which famous guy is this? Should I know who he is? And she was all smiles and just yeah. really just beaming at me. That's LA right there. Who say, are you? What can um, you do for me? I wanted to say, cool it, kid. I'm nobody. Get me a coffee. <laughs> You'll never work in this town again, kid. <laughs> All right. So you came to Napa to follow your dream of being a chef. Did you get to uh, Did you get to work in restaurants here? Oh, my God. Yes. Um, so I actually started as a private chef down in L.A. I worked for Will and Jada Smith for a little while. Hmm. They're somebody. They were amazing. They're such amazing people. And I put myself through culinary school. I I got the degree. I came up here. I actually was the general manager of Visatui. Did I okay. ever tell you about that? No. Yeah. The busiest winery in all of Napa Valley. It's super busy. They have a delicatessen that, that just cranks out the food all day. People sit and they eat their picnics. 250 cheeses, a, cheese a grocery shop. department, a gift department. I ran all of that. I didn't wow. even touch the wine side of the business. I did all the, the front oh. marketplace stuff. Okay. Uh, but that's when I started to really learn about wine and they had over 60 wines which is just insane to think about i started asking a lot of questions with like i'd go to work in the morning i'd step into the lab and the first thing i'd i'd do is like hey what's going on with the grapes today guys and i mean i live in the middle of a vineyard in a barn so i could see physically what was going on in the vineyards but right. i didn't know yet the process of the growth <laughs> of grapes and so you're they coming would... into the winery and the people <laughs> on the winemaking team here she is again. She's going to ask us what's going on with the grapes. They mm. loved me. And I brought my dog with me, okay. Rocky, who's here with me right now. You might hear her in the background. Rocky but, um, is here in the vintner's room. <laughs> she is a very small dog. She's tiny. She's but well behaved. And that's how I started to really become interested in the grape growing process. Uh-huh. Uh, meanwhile, running a crazy, insane winery trying to keep everything <laughs> i was juggling plates you know spinning plates you know that was like the the metaphor she hit of that the ground plate. running and her plates were spinning <laughs> that was the craziest job i've ever had honestly okay. but i did eventually a couple years later i also managed oakville grocery for a little while wow these are two like really busy people that come to napa they go there. They have to go there. Yeah. It's, it's in like, all the magazines. It's in all the guides that say, these are the things you have to hit. Yes. To make it real. And then I ended up um, GMing a restaurant called Archetype. By that point, I had already been doing tours for a bit, mm -hmm. where I was also learning about the geography of the area and the soil types and the microclimates and all the things that I just, this place is so magical. Like I fell in love with it the more I got to know about it. So at this restaurant, I was in charge of the wine list. Oh, okay. So and now you're the wine director at Architect. Yes. And so probably my favorite part of the job, for sure, because wine, you know, reps would come in with their bag of wine and try to convince me to put their wines on the list. Right. And I, of course, would be like, well, I think I'm going to have to taste it first. <laughs> you're putting so. on your best villainous voice. <laughs> I started out the day tasting wine. The wine list is all mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I was. <laughs> all right. This is also something about me you should know. I've had like a million different kinds of jobs and I've had them all for like 
a year. That's because you're always hitting the ground running. That's right. Yeah, that is. Ex- <laughs> I, I want to learn as much as I can about everything. That's right. kind of my goal in life. All right. So when you leave the when you leave the vendor's room today and you're you hit the ground running, where are you going to go? <laughs> and I'm speaking more metaphorically. Like, Oh, What's okay. in the future? Okay, I was going to say, I'm probably going to go back to my barn and probably do a little <laughs> bit of gardening. Yes, of course you are. It's a beautiful sunny day. I just planted my vegetable garden and it's... Ugh. But what is your master villainous plan for the future? Mm. This wine's good, isn't it? It's so good. I can't <laughs> stop drinking it. I should have brought some cheese. What was I thinking? Oh, man, there's cheese in the next room. <laughs> The kitchen's right there. We, got we might have to break into the kitchen. <laughs> God, you know, that's like that crazy question people always ask. Like, what do you see yourself doing in oh, five years? Yeah, like, I hate that in five years thing. I'm like, well, what about in six years? What about like tomorrow? What I don't even in know. Two weeks? <laughs> what if I have a weird dream tonight? All of a sudden I'm inspired in the morning to go move somewhere. <laughs> Maybe I'll move to North Dakota. No, don't do that. You have to shovel your driveway if you can find it. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So what do you think... Might be happening. Oh, God. In the future. I love this podcast thing. And I know it's still the very beginning stages of it. I'm hoping that maybe that can go somewhere. Or, I don't know, I still toy with the idea of figuring out a way to get back into the acting world. Mm -hmm. That's my first love, always. Do you have an agent? I do not. Like, I literally left L.A. and left everything behind. But what I do see in my future is a lot of wine drinking. (laughs) Let's hope so. Let's hope so. It's it's such a beautiful thing to share wine with someone. You know, that's okay. That's the thing about wine too. Drinking alone is sad to me because when you open a great bottle of wine and it's truly delicious, it's almost sad that you have it there completely by yourself. No way, man. You want to talk about it? It's all for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you'd make a great villain. You're yeah. inspiring me. Honestly, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in the future. All right. I just, I fly by the seat of my pants. It's gotten me this far. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. You're doing something right. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been a true delight. And the wines have been delicious. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. We, we live a pretty good life here. <laughs> the Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is produced, edited, and maintained by yours truly, Recorded on a program called Audacity. I'll show you everything I know. And our host site is Buzzsprout. If you want to start your own podcast, I recommend both. Our theme music is composed by Jeremy Marzen. If you have feedback, questions, would like to suggest a guest, feel free to drop me a line, tallmikewine at gmail.com. Or if you want your own podcast coasters, write to me. To see everything we're doing, check out my Instagram at Tall Mike Wine. Don't forget the gift that keeps on giving. Subscribe or follow us on your podcast app of choice. If that's Apple Podcasts, leave a review or just punch the five-star button. You know I'm worth it. Join us again soon here in the Vintner's Room at Nicholson Ranch in Sonoma. For now and always, I'm Mike Stone. Cheers. Cheers.